How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of Liberty After Dark. Um, just so you guys are aware, this episode is is segmented up into three parts. This first part with uh, Dan, who is going to be our guest for these three parts, is uh, goes over a whole bunch of topics. We talk about prominent figures with inside of uh, libertarian or specifically more anarcho-capitalist thinking. Um, we talk about some controversial topics that surround them and uh, you know an approach to looking at how these people speak and whether or not the material from their works is still uh, credible based off of whether we disagree with them or not, which we had a pretty universal opinion on. We talk about conservation. We talk about property rights, all sorts of good things in this episode. Uh, it's, it's kind of a mishmash of topics. We just bounce between them, which I don't think is a bad thing. We go over a lot of good stuff here. Just so you guys know, like I said, this is going to be segmented into three parts. The next part will be coming out tomorrow, maybe the day after that. I just got to finish up the last little bit of stuff. Uh, I am about two or three weeks behind, so I'm going to try to crank out some episodes over these next week and, and two weeks, and then I'll, I'll be mostly caught up, and we can go back to what my original plan was of being one week behind each episode, but I hope you guys enjoy everything that's said here. Uh, next episode will be mostly the nap. It's about an hour long. If you guys are interested in just instead of cutting them up and giving them in more deliverable fashion, you guys can uh, just email me over at contact at libertyafterdark.net. Uh, you can send me an email there and just say, hey, I'm interested in you releasing the entire episode instead of cutting it up into parts. I just felt like this would be more consumable. Also, one more quick thing. I uh, just wanted to let you guys know there was a little bit of bad weather over on Dan's side. So if there are any audio glitches, I did my best to level everything out. But uh, apologies in advance if it's difficult to hear him at times. Uh, like I said, I did everything I could, but I felt like the conversation was worth having and worth putting up. So hope you enjoy. How's your day going, man? I heard you guys got some weather out there. Well, they missed the forecast by a mile. Like uh, they said we were going to get uh, a little bit of rain in the morning and it would quickly turn to ice. And it literally rained all day. It didn't turn to ice until like 8 o'clock. And then it like was ice for maybe 20 minutes. And then turned uh, right to snow after about 20 minutes. And I know um, Annalisa is in uh, 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 Greenville right now, which is not far from me. It's about a half an hour from me. And... Uh, I guess they had snow all day, but we had rain all day. It was like 34 degrees, I think, that's all of Walmart got today. So it stayed rain, and then, it, of course, it froze up. But uh, uh, now it's snowing, and it's very, very windy. Um, I just got a text from uh, my boss at work that his power is out. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if I lose my connection at some point. That's fine. You know, I'm just I'm glad to hear you either way. I heard you said you had some uh, some quotes for us, if you'd like to read some. Also, hi to Katie, yeah. who's uh, first time on live stream. Uh, thanks for coming out. Yeah, I did have some quotes. Uh, I, I'm going to do a couple short ones. Um, since people were so happy with my quote reading last night, I figured I'd read a couple more and see, see if the uh, popularity remains. Um, this is one of my favorites, and, and I... Growing up and uh, even in my formative years, I was really into the Constitution. You know, I thought it was really, you know, um, uh, I guess the, the greatest uh, human document ever written. And uh, I don't I, I don't think that anymore. I think it's a good attempt, 
but it, it falls short in, um, in many aspects. And Spooner had a quote about it, and it's a pretty famous quote, but um, I, like to, I like to tell my friends uh, this quote who are, you know, they're, they're constitutionalists. And um, area, the area I'm in is a, is a lot of, um, it's very deeply red, um, okay. like, like extremely red, like blood red, uh, like gun-toting hunters who are pro-military and pro-police, you know. So I, when I give this them this quote, it, it really takes them aback, and um, uh, it, it kind of shakes them. And and so I really like it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read it, and then um, you know we, maybe we can discuss it or something. Uh, but the the quote is uh, from No Treason, uh, subtitled "The Constitution of No Authority." And the quote goes, uh, but whether the Constitution really be one thing or another, this much is certain, that it has neither authorized such a government as we have had or has been powerless to prevent it. In either case, it is unfit to exist. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a fantastic, I love Spooner. He's probably one of my biggest inspirations for getting to where I am uh, today, so I always appreciate hearing some of his quotes the uh what one of the things that always gets me uh very very interesting man but his when i was a constitutional conservative growing up because that's kind of how i was raised uh by my father is that uh his his total rejection of the idea of this this document that no one you, you never signed to it right it's always one of his big things that he comes back to there was no point in your life where you you know, you turned 18 or even 12 or whatever and, you know, signed this document saying that you're going to comply to these these rules. So it was it was thrust upon you without any uh, volunteerism or or any way that you were allowed to, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Express your your rights to not consent, you know. So yeah. Spooner's one of the hugest voices for me uh, when I was first coming up through the libertarian circles towards getting to where I am today. So um, that's a fantastic quote from him, especially about the Constitution, especially. Yeah. And I, I, I was looking for that quote that he uh, talked about where uh, he didn't sign the Constitution. You know, there's no, nobody signed the Constitution. And it's a rather long quote, but I, I don't see it here. But I would, I would encourage anyone uh, who's watching us that has not read it to read um, No Treason. Uh, I believe um, there's a podcast, and I have it saved. Um, it's a really good podcast. Um, it's narrated by a man named Matt Pritchard. Uh, I believe that's who it is. I, I could be wrong about that. Um, but it's, I believe it's um, the Mises Institute, not no, no, I take that back. It's not. Hold on, I don't. I must have deleted it. I don't see it on my podcast anymore. Okay, um, <laughs> take your time by all means. No one's in a rush. Uh, yes, it's from the Mises Institute, and it's uh, Matt Pritchard narrates it, and uh, it's free. It, you can download it, and uh, it's. I listen to it. You know, I'll listen to it. You know, whenever like I don't. Um, I don't have a whole lot of time to read anymore. I mean, I, I used to read like a book a week when I was in high school. And uh, 
taught tackle family and, and work and side work and uh, it's really <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day like I don't have time to do anything I want to do so um, it's kind of sad sometimes but is it say la vie isn't that such as life isn't that what they do yeah um, uh, but uh, Spooner is definitely I don't know I like it got some thought-provoking stuff and uh, I think that you know I, I know Zach says uh, Zach Lester says that uh, Tom Woods is a status but um, I don't know if he's saying that tongue-in-cheek um, I know Larry Sharp is a, can be controversial but um, Tom Woods is I don't I don't see him as a status I think he's a, a you know I don't want to say he's pragmatic like we've you know, we talked about yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say he's more uh, a realist. Like this is the this is what the you know situation we're in, which is I guess the way I would see myself. The situation we're in, we'll operate within it and strive towards making it not so. Um, but Tom Woods, um, listening to his show, led me to a lot of this stuff. Um, I mean, I've heard I'd heard of Spooner and heard some of his quotes, but I wasn't really turned on to Spooner until I. Started listening to Tom Woods, so um, even if he is a statist in, in some libertarian eyes, uh, I think he's a good gateway. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, what's your opinion? Uh, I, I don't know how much you've listened to, uh, but I get a lot of questions from people who you know maybe have just kind of flirted with the idea of libertarianism. A lot of them have come by uh, Stefan Molyneux uh, and other thinkers like him. What, what's your opinion on that that group of really? Uh, I mean, they're pretty vocal. He, he's a pretty vocal anarchist. So, do you have any personal? Yeah. I've listened to some of Stefan's stuff. Most of it is uh, when he's been on other people's shows. I don't listen to his show particularly, but whenever he's on, like, uh, part of the problem with Dave Smith or uh, Tom Woods, or uh, I'm, I'm not sure if he's been on Michael Malice or not, but I've listened to him quite a bit on other people's shows. And um, I don't like. He he uses, um, uh, I guess, statistics, facts, and statistics to support some of his opinions and his um, assertions. I don't want to say opinions, his assertions. Um, but I I think he's there's a couple areas where he's short, and I, I don't the cultural thing. Like I think he's absolutely right about the cultural thing. Like if we live if we lived in Ancapistan, we actually had Ancapistan. I, I truly and wholeheartedly believe that you would have communities, like we talked about ta- last night, townships or city-state type arrangement, where um, you would have townships where it, only white people are allowed, or only black people are allowed, or only Mexican people are allowed, so on and so forth. You, you can't deny that. That's going to exist. And I think he's pointing that out, and people get offended by that. And But, but I think there's, you know... I, I think he tries to justify um, some of the, um, I guess, uh, hatefulness and, and I don't want to say racism because it's not racism. Like, people are prejudiced. It's prejudice, and he tries to justify it through through facts of this statistics. And um, one of the things he was talking about on one of the shows I watched was um, IQ differential. And IQ differential. 
I, to me, it's more related to culture and geographic location than um, race. So if you look at African Americans who brought or black Africans who have been brought over um, in, the, in the past four years, they are extraordinarily successful. Um, you know, I know of a couple uh, Ugandans that have come over, and they are um, in the engineering field, and they're extremely successful. They do very well, um, and you don't you don't necessarily see that with, um, uh, I guess, uh, some of the inner city culture, and it's not just. Um, uh, black people, African Americans in the inner city culture. I mean, I, I lived in the city of Dayton for 12 years, and there was plenty of inner city culture that involved white people. And and it's the idea that um, middle class and wealthy people are stealing from them. And you know, most of them were were perfectly happy to live in squalor. And uh, that's all they know. You know, it's um, they're they're more concerned with uh, I guess uh, making sure that they uh, they can be uh, I guess uh, real than actually being better. And so I, I think there there is some merit to what he's saying, but it's not based on race. It's it's based on um, you know geography and culture and economic development. If you had if you had some economic development over in these in these third world countries, like you see in India, um, you know you you know you see some I guess uh, uh, social movement. And India is not I guess not a real good example because they had a caste system, but I think it's a lot better than what it was 50 years ago. That's very true. Um, so just to, just to do due diligence, if, if Stefan Mon, you were here, he would probably say something like, of course, environmental factors have to do a lot with, uh, you know, IQ across individuals. And then he would go on about some statistic about the whole broader scale implications of IQ. And we don't have to go through all that, but just to make sure, you know, due diligence is served. But, uh, I, I think there's that's definitely the biggest hang up for a lot of people with him is that when he starts talking about IQ and race, a lot of people just wipe their hands and they say okay no we're not we're not doing this it's a you know we can talk about ANCAP we can talk about you know the abolishment of the state we can talk about violence we can talk about all that but the second race gets brought into the conversation um a lot of people see it as excessive too which I think is it's kind of a fair criticism because it's not necessarily I mean he personally believes that it's important to creating a, a cohesive society but um a lot of people disagree and I think there are merits um, to to their disagreements, uh, but there's a there's a couple of thinkers that I follow that have views that I I don't agree with. Stefan's definitely one of them with the whole IQ uh, being directly tied to race and and how the implications of that, even if it were to be true, um, I, we would disagree on that as well. But uh, another thinker who's not anything close to a libertarian who I really enjoy is Sam Harris. Uh, he he questions. Uh -huh free will in a very fascinating way and it makes it a it makes for one heck of a, an interesting conversation whenever a neuroscientist starts bringing up uh, the implications of of how external factors can influence a person's free will 
Um, and, and that's a huge deal for us as, as libertarians. You know, pers- individual liberty is why we do this. So uh, yeah. I think it's always good to challenge yourself. So if any of you out there are, you know, I, I found myself kind of being caught in the cycle of listening to, you know, the same three, four, five people over and over and over again and just nodding my head the whole time. Uh, try to go out there and find someone who, who you don't agree with and then give yourself a good, you know, really think about what they're saying. Don't just blow it off. And, and you know, if nothing else, you'll come out stronger in your beliefs because of it. So Well, and that's, uh, I've listened to a couple of uh, shows where Gavin McGinnis has been on, and I think people misunderstand him, too. They, you know, they see this proud boy culture, and, and it's not something I agree with, but, you know, he has valid points. And um, one thing I always tell people, uh, you know, that, you know, like Zach saying, uh, uh, Larry Sharp's a statist, Tom Woods is a statist, and Stefan Molyneux, you know, people could say he's a racist. He's not a racist, he's, you know, um, uh, I, well, I don't think, I don't think he is. In my opinion, he's not. But, uh, a, a quote I like to, to use from The Simpsons is, uh, March Simpson had a, a t-shirt on when they were flying, uh, or they were in Inchy and Scratchy Lane. I don't know if you ever watched The Simpsons. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen. I've, I haven't seen all of it by any means, but I've seen a, a fair number of episodes. She had a shirt on that said "Poe Buddies Nerfect." <laughs> Poe Buddies Nerfect. Yeah. So I always tell people that you know Poe Buddies Nerfect, and uh, uh, and then there's another quote I like to I like to use a uh, guy uh, I used to work with would always say it, and it's uh, uh, even perfect people make mistakes. I know from experience. Oh yeah, I mean that's <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. I like that. That's I'm gonna have to use that. Um, Skyler says I'm narcissistic enough to really just loathe opposition and fear being outed as a fraud. Um, so I guess if I were to offer some sort of rebuttal to that, um, the only thing you have to lose is a bad idea. That's what I tell myself every time I go into a conversation, especially after becoming a libertarian, kind of having my eyes open, having to change my opinion about something after being, you know, just thinking I had the whole world figured out. Um, it's, you know, that's kind of how I look at it is that the, the, the only thing I have to lose is a wrong idea. So, um, it's not like no, nobody's going to drag you through the mud. We're not like, we don't, you know, go out and be public speakers and make money off of the things that we're saying. We're just, we're just here to learn and become better people from it. Um, yeah. It, and let's be honest, if we, if we actually could make money at it, we, we probably would find a way to do it. But Exactly. Uh, right. <laughs> most people just want to keep their heads in the sand and go on with their lives. They're, they're happy to have 40% of their income taken every year. Um, they're happy to have uh, to not worry about certain things that it's taken care of, and they're they're fine with that. And my my biggest problem is is I think that all these services that we pay for the you know like the city and the roads and the schools and defense and fires would all be paid for. It would all be there, but. Uh, you know, we we all would have to take time out of our lives to you know sign up for a subscription like the cable internet, that kind of thing. And I think that's that really scares people to think about that. You would have to shop around for your police or fire service. But they, I think people, you know, that they have a hard enough time 
dealing with the cable company when you're on hold for half an hour because it's disconnected. You know what I mean? Yeah. They would rather be taken care of. I don't, I don't know if you were here for it, but we kind of, I kind of went over that when I was talking about, you know, how we don't always have the perfect answer for Ancapistan, but you know, the services will be provided if there is a demand for them to be provided in one form, fashion, way, or service. So, well, and that's the way you. Uh, I guess you could look look back at the, the city state model is uh, is is a part of living in a city is a part of the, you know you could say it's taxes or whatever, but it was you know required to be a part of the community that you give yourself up for the defense of the community. But you didn't have to stay in the community. You could leave. And it wasn't like you had to pay something to leave or you could move five miles out of town and not be part of the community. Or, you know, if you're in the United States, you can't, you can't move five miles outside of Dayton, Ohio, and be free from, you know, submitting yourself for the defense of the community. You know, you're still bound by that. There's... there's now, where can you go? Somalia? Yeah. <laughs> I always hate that one. That's that's pro- that's one of my big big triggering, you know, oh, just move to Somalia. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a, it just shows a fundamental misunderstanding of the idea. And it's supposed to be a miscaricature, and I, I understand that. But um, Schuyler says, in, in, oh, sorry, what was that? Oh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. He says, in every cloud is a silver lining, and we can only be loved as much as we are willing to be vulnerable, but it's miserable. Uh, that's a good quote. Who said that? Um, please uh, please let me know who said that. I, I really like that quote. I'm going to say I read an article. I think it was, um, it might have been from Reason, but I, I can't remember where it was. And it was talking about, um, or it might have been being libertarian. I don't remember. Anyway, it was talking about Somalia, and it was talking about Somalia was a, basically like a socialist state. It was uh, a command and control um, uh, government, and it, and it collapsed. It, it literally collapsed under its own weight. And, you know, you can say, it, you know, it's complete anarchy, and there's wars and, and warlords and conflict constantly, but economic activity is up compared to under compared to what it was under the, um, uh, you know, the socialist state, the communist state, and um, people are, are actually freer. So, you know, you can say, well, it's not safe to live there, and it's, it's you know, you can't, you can't go there and, you know, have a homestead or whatever. But people are surviving and thriving more so than they were under the communist state. So even though it's, you know, not safe to live there, is it is it worse? I would argue it's not. Yeah, um, I I haven't read that specifically, but it, uh, to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, if from what we know about command and control economies throughout uh, history, I mean that's the whole reason China abandoned their command and control economy because it was destroying their country, uh, and now they have a you know a, a a free market light, as some people like to say it, where there's still quite a bit of influence which is half the reason why they're not doing as well as they could be but um they they're, they had to they had to abandon the the total government control of the economy because it was just crippling it was crippling every industry from farming to infrastructure to uh, just typical industry and manufacturing it was everything was way under production and everyone was starving and 
So they had to they had to let it go as much as they wanted to keep on to it and, and continue the, the communist uh, methodology. Yeah, it, it it doesn't work. And, that, you know, I think that especially in China, you know, they they figured out that if they let a little bit of freedom in, it'll it'll thrive. But I, this social credit thing they started really scares me. I, I don't see how they're going to be competitive if we keep that up. Oh, it's it's dystopian. That that's dystopian right there. That we're not, we're not talking just like oh, you know, they're raising taxes. That's you know bad. That's dystopian levels of government intervention. Well, I I, I can see it happening here, and especially with like um, uh, insurance companies and the credit bureau and the, the I don't like I say that, and you know they're 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 corporations. They're not. Um, you know, government entities, but the government's going to make it possible for them to do it. I mean, they consumers wouldn't stand for it if they did it, and there was no government to, to, to okay it and say that it was fine. Um, you know, they, they just wouldn't. But what bothers me about it is this, um, I don't know if you've seen the little plug-in device you can plug into your car, and it reports to the insurance company how you're driving. And uh, so they when, they, when you plug that in, the insurance company knows everything that you're doing. It knows how hard you're pushing the gas, how hard you're pushing the brake, um, whether or not you're sliding, whether or not you're, you know, doing a burnout, uh, you know, how hard you're driving the car. They know all that. And they're going to base your rates on how you're driving. That's what it's for. And, you know, don't think for a second that eventually the government's not going to have control of that information and they're going to want, want that information. And, you know, that could that could potentially play a role in your credit score or whether or not you can get a job. Are you are you driving recklessly? Are you, you know, cutting people off, tailgating, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, they they really just want to know what you're doing so that they can tell whether or not you're a good person. And I'd be quite honest, I don't think somebody's driving ability tells whether or not they're, you know, a decent person. And I, I say that, but uh, uh, my wife wrecked her car in my truck this evening. So, <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that's it's not bad. It's not bad. But. Just a fender bender. Yeah, she was backing out, and uh, I guess she was afraid she was going to hit it, so she tried to go forward. And you know, we've got a little bit of weather here; it's a little slick. And I guess when she tried to go forward, she hit the gas a little bit too hard. And, the front tire, it's front wheel drive car, and the front tire spun, and she ended up sliding down the driveway and uh, kind of into my truck a little bit. And uh, so she got it, she, you know, wasn't touching the truck and, uh, you know, eventually pulled forward, and I moved the truck and got the car back pulled up where it was, and she was going to get her weekend and carry out from the local Mexican place. So I, I told her just to stay home, and I'd go and get it, so. So Skyler says the current state of the UK is our future. Better get a permit for that opinion, mate. Um, so I, just as a, a quick rebuttal, not not if we continue on the track that we're going, I, I think that's a fair assessment to make. And you could argue that there's no sign that we're going to be turning around anytime soon. I would like to say that there there is, but just to give a current example, the whole um, the whole yellow vest movement in France kind of shows that there is. 
there is still this, even in these Europe, which we just typically look at as just like a, a generally welcoming to socialist ideologies, there there is a pushback to an encroachment of, of government into personal finances, uh, you know, in, into uh, consumption of materials, however it may be, it, you know, to try to curb individual liberties. So I think, the, again, th their standard is much lower than ours is, but... Um, I think that, that that is still a fundamental characteristic of, of, of being a human being, that you, you want to be able to, you know, keep what's yours, protect your, your personal liberties and, and your property rights. At, at least, I would say, the majority. Yeah. And that's the thing is, like, I, you know, I, I tell people when they, when they plug that device, and I, I have a couple of people that I work on their cars, and they have the device, and, you know, plugged into their car, and I'm like, I, you know, I want you to understand that if you get into an accident and it's your fault, they're going to know it. And not that you would lie about it, but, you know, say the light turned yellow, but you didn't think you could stop. So you, you know, ran the red light and someone decided to go ahead and go quickly. You know, it's going to show you didn't even break, you know, and, that, you know, that kind of thing. And whether or not, you know, it, it's excusable, they're going to say it's not. And. Um, you know, it's it, it is it is really a you know even though it's voluntary it is really a form of tyranny. I mean, but uh, it's it's coming that the government will control it. And I, one thing I always tell people is that I, I take care of my business. I, I I go to my job. I pay my bills. I you know take care of my family. I do everything. But I like to drive fast. I drive fast on the highway. Uh, you know and. If the insurance company were to see that, you know, they could, uh, you know, hurt my credit score, raise my rates, so on and so forth. And I don't need that, you know. I, you know, they always say uh, men have uh, higher insurance rates than women, and that's the exact opposite case for my household. Um, <laughs> yeah, um this is why I like old cars. It's like, where, where are you going to plug it in if I don't have an OBD2 port, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. But then they'll just yeah. ban your ability to drive 70s and 80s vehicles, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, if you get an old car and get a, uh, you know, like an aftermarket uh, fuel injection system, then you can still plug it into the OBD2 port. And, but, uh, you know, you have the modern convenience, but you don't have the... Uh, the intrusiveness of the OEM manufacturers. Exactly, right? That's a good way of putting it. Um, Skyler here, uh, I mean, to, to be fair, I'll go ahead, since I've addressed the rest of his comments, I don't want him to feel like I'm ignoring him. Uh, every time the French rebel, they get more government. Coincidentally, that's uh, what everyone, what they and everyone wants. Um, I, I would... There's there is a movement inside of the yellow vests that is you know like ah we should have a socialist utopia but there are a lot of movements inside of the yellow vests so I think it's kind of hard to put one ideology on them. There's a really big anti-tax movement in there that's you know like those were the guys who went around and busted all of the uh, the red light cameras there. They were, they were, that was the anti-government side of of the yellow vest movement. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're you're not wrong. Historically speaking, yes, the French rebel, and then they get more tyrannical somehow afterwards, or or they wind up putting the king back in power after it all collapses. But uh, 
Yeah, and then he says, I'm usually pretty optimistic. Well, um, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes it is important to bring up historical context to events. I would like to think that, and this is still all new. You know, we have no idea what the effects of this are going to be yet. It's all hypothetical. Um, but I, I would like to think that there is enough of a, of, an, of a, a small government, you know, limitations on taxes and, and increasing of personal liberties in the movement that there will be some kind of reciprocation. Uh, to some extent. Now, whether that's a long-standing effect or not, I, I don't have an answer, but um, it, it's a hope that I have, and it, it, you know, we will see as time goes on. Yeah. And that, I don't know if you saw the... Um, I saw a headline. I didn't read the article, and I, I guess it's on me for not opening it up, but... Uh, there's so much to read and see and, and, and take in anymore. It's hard to do it all, but um, apparently they shot one of the yellow vest people. And I, I guess he survived. It was, they didn't kill him, but, you know, I, I, I hate to be cliche, but I think back to the movie V for Vendetta where they, they shot the girl and everyone rebelled. And, you know, ever, you know, then, you know, certain people were upset about the yellow vest guy being shot. I, I, I was a little surprised at the the um, lack of outrage over it, and I think people are really, uh, you know, they have Stockholm syndrome there as well. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, so it was justified, and it's kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, so just to give some context, uh, he wasn't shot with a firearm. He was shot with a. Well, I guess you could consider it a firearm. I'm not sure if the government would or not, but it, it shoots steel balls uh, instead of yeah, bullets. They, yeah. So, but it hit him in the head. <laughs> yeah, they can still kill you. Exactly. Yeah, it hit him in the head. He had to be put into a medically induced coma. I haven't heard anything about him since then. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I I thought the same thing too. I was like, you know, I mean. There's really two ways that this goes. Either no one cares or everyone cares. I don't really know if there's really a middle ground in a situation like that, but it seems like the general consensus is, oh, that sucks, and then everybody just kind of moved on. Um, yeah. I, you know. Which, the, uh, that dog being shot by the police officer a couple weeks ago really surprised me. They actually did something about it. So maybe there is a glimmer of hope, but uh, I don't know. I think there's too many people that are just – they're happy to have a boot on their on their neck. Oh, yeah, it's like that uh the the one where it's the the boot is on the snake and instead of the I specifically requested the opposite of this, it's like, "Oh yeah, tread me daddy" or something like that, you know. Tread harder daddy. Tread harder daddy. That's that's a good one. Um there, yeah, there's definitely. I mean, I feel like, you know, not to like throw anybody under the bus, but I feel like, you know, kind of my my grandparents' generation especially, they've all just accepted the fact that, you know, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta comply to the state. Um, it, it exists to, you know, keep society running and that it's always a, a universal good unless it's Obama. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is that's why I always tell people these, these, uh, Trumpsters, like, I'm like, you know, you say, well, respect the president, but you were bad mouth on Obama for eight years. So what's the difference? Yeah. I, so, but we watch uh, at, at work at lunchtime. We watch the old old television shows. They have a, a local uh, station that plays. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show, The Rifleman and uh, Bonanza, and 
I can't think of the other one, but it's, they all talk about, you know, like the rifleman had, um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. The, um, uh, character who's a U.S. Marshal, uh, Marshal Dillon, and, uh, Miss Kitty is the, the brothel owner, and, uh, they, they never get married and that kind of thing, but they socialize. And it, it props, like, when you look at shows like that, it props up police as, like, these, um, mythical creatures that, uh, do good. And if you look at the show, like, the, there's nothing, uh, tyrannical about what Marshall Dillon does, you know. He always does the right thing. He doesn't, you know, trample on anybody's rights per se. But the, you can tell it's a setup for, uh, you know, authoritarian uh, type police work, you know, that, hey, this guy's just doing his job. He's trying to do the right thing, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with the show as it is, but a lot of people see that and they... They relate Marshall Dillon to the local police officer, and that's not the case. Oh yeah, um, yeah. The, the amount of outrage that that uh, that police officer shooting that dog brought about was, especially since it, it happened in Arkansas, and you know that's a pretty pretty red area. They're they're typically you know what you you would not exactly consider to be like politically dissident people, but you know there is also still that kind of southern culture of you know, my property, my rights that kind of permeates throughout, I would say, a, a good majority of the South. Some of it's pretty statist, but, you know, there's there's that underground culture of it that kind of exists. That's why you have so many small government constitutionalists in the South. Um, like, like where, you know, Texas has plenty of them, like where you and I grew up. Um, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, it, it does kind of give a, a glimmer of hope. He, I mean, he was only fired. I, I don't know if anybody's pressed charges yet. I mean, I would. If it was me, I mean that's that was ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, I haven't I haven't followed it since then. After I heard that he was uh, relieved of duty, but um, you know, I mean, at least something was done about it. At least they there was the public outcry was enough for the department to have to identify that there was a, a breach in in you know property rights and and individual liberties there. Um, and you know, I mean. It was just it, the whole thing was a fiasco. I mean, the second he, he whipped out the taser and started approaching the man after telling him to leave his property and he didn't have any reason to be there after he shot his dog. I was like, this is this is completely this has gone full freaking circle at this point. It's you, yeah. you, you've gone next level. Um, yeah. And the one thing the one thing about it, and I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm being sympathetic to the officer. But the one thing I will say about him pulling the taser out when the guy starts walking back towards his house. Is um, if you if you were in the police officer's shoes and you just shot what you thought was this guy's dog, he starts walking back to, towards his house. The first thing you're going to think is he's going in to get his gun and he's going to shoot me. So the officer's trying to prevent that. So I'm not excusing the officer at all, but his response is rational. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think we could we could say it's rational i'm not saying it doesn't make sense it, i i would just argue that he should have never put himself in that position to begin with but absolutely yeah absolutely. so sure i mean yeah if, if i went onto someone's property and and you know shot, shot their dog i would probably want to stop them from shooting me too but um i probably shouldn't have shot their dog to begin with so yeah absolutely so and um i know i i, I want to i well maybe i won't tell that story uh, but i, I want to point out annalisa's corrected me it was gun smoke is the show 
not the rifleman. The rifleman's a little bit different show. The gun smoke is the one with Marshall Dillon in this kitty. Um, so I don't want to be wrong about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's fine. I, I, I appreciate the, the correction from, from Annalisa there. Um, keep keeping us, uh, as factual as possible. <laughs> it's always, it's always good to have some chat moderators. It's half the reason why I like doing this live. Um, and that way, if I can't look up something fast enough, like I was corrected uh, on the on yesterday's show, we were talking about conservation and you know what an NCAP society could do to continue the the process of conserving species. Like, and I I was under the impression that um, the white rhino was com- completely extinct, but um, apparently they're extinct in the wild, which is still not great. But there there are three of them still in captivity. So just another example of you know I was was wrong there, and I, I learned something from doing this, and I appreciate that. So if you know again if if I say anything that's incorrect do not do not be afraid to come out here and correct me. So oh Rachel is here. Yeah, Ra- Rachel was the one who corrected me on that. Um yeah. she's pretty big well, into the conservationist. But sorry, continue. Yeah. The uh, the conservation thing, I think all that can be solved uh, for the most part with property rights and uh, uh you know they you watch the old western shows and they talk about, you know, somebody having a piece of property and they dam up the the creek and so water doesn't flow into the other guy's property. Well, to me, you're uh, preventing what was natural there in the first place. So that's a violation of my property rights. If you dam up your water and it prevents water from going onto my property, where it would have naturally. Now, we can't control rivers and lakes. So if rivers, you know, change their course or lake dries up, we can't prevent that. But for someone to dam up a river on their property that prevents a natural flow of water onto my property, that would be a vital violation of my property right. So, in the same same process, if someone were to dump toxic waste into the river and it flows through my property, or my property touches that river, and my my you know my river bank and the water that flows through that is is uh, uh, tainted because of it, then they have violated my property right. So, you know, there's no there's no oh we can't do anything about people dumping. Toxic waste. Well, yeah, we can if you actually upheld property rights. Yeah, I mean that just comes so, down to exploitation of of resources, really. I mean, you're 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 taking something that's valuable about the property and you're you're decreasing the value of it uh, with you know without any consent from you know anybody who who owns those the rights those resources. So, yeah. and I, you know, in the, in the same vein, I think uh, if someone were to put up a uh, a water wheel or um, I guess a, a dam that would still still allow flow, water flow, that kind of thing. You know, I would I would hope that they would get permission from the neighbor first. I think that would be the, the proper thing. But if they don't hinder the actual flow of the water, I don't see where they would have it. You know, the person would have to stand stand downriver to say that their rights have been violated as long as the flow remains uh, And the same thing about animals. So, like, if I own a piece of property. And you come onto my land, and I have white rhinos on it. And you shoot a white rhino, then you have violated my property rights. So, um, you know, if I own a piece of property and I have a white rhino, and I want to, you know, sell your right to hunt that white rhino, then I have every right to do that. Um, so, you know, property rights, if they were actually upheld, to what they're supposed to be, could solve a lot of these problems. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a violation of property rights is, is the whole reason why, you know, we could still uphold uh, poachers going on to, you know, uh, co conservation land in, say, like Africa and, and doing trophy hunting out there without permission or, or paying for the, the owners of the property. You know, that would still be something that could be, you know, uh, defended under the NAP. You would you would have 100% have, have every right to defend. In this case, it would be seen as a resource or your property. Uh, you 100% would still have the right to defend them. You wouldn't have to have, you know, uh, on top of all of the other reasons that you could come up with of why you would want to defend, you know, a species that's about to go extinct. You could, uh, you still have all the nap there to back you up on top of all that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's one thing we have in, in the city I live in. They have, uh, uh, you can't count hunt with firearms. Now, um, of course, uh, uh, archery is allowed, um, even ask, I have a, a person I know, an acquaintance who's on the city council, and I specifically asked him about, um, uh, what do they call it, uh, not, not spear fishing, but uh, will, you hunt, will, you, will you fish, but you do it with a, like a crossbow with like a string attached. And I can't remember what the word for it is. Um, uh, anyway, uh, he said, all of that's okay. You can, you can you know, hunt with a, with a bow or a crossbow in the city limits. She can't use a firearm. Of course, you have to follow all the ODNR regulations. So you know it has to be in season and that kind of thing. Um, if you're if you're going to follow the law, and uh, but we're not, you know, you can't hunt a coyote with a bow and arrow. And we have, well, I guess you could, but I don't think you're going to be very successful. But we have coyote infestation in my area, and I live like in it's like a suburban neighborhood, and I have a little twenty pound dog, and I can't let my dog out at night by himself because the coyotes would probably have their way with him. And again, like where I live, like we're, I'm walking distance to two major shopping centers. Um, uh, there's businesses all around us. There's parks. It's a suburban city, but we have all these coyotes that are, that are coming in. And we can't do anything about it they, because of all the city rules, city regulations, and it's it's getting worse. And uh, I work with a guy that has some property, and he hunts them. He can hunt them year-round. And um, he does. He kills probably one one every two or three months. Um, and he doesn't have any, you know I mean? They're still there, but they're not a nuisance like what they are here. So that's the end of the first part of, our conversation with Dan, lots of good things said. I really enjoyed having him on so that we could talk about a lot of these things. Uh, next episode's really great. Uh, it, it, like I said in the beginning, it's going to be about an hour long. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever uh, format you like to use. Uh, Spotify, Google Play, Apple, iTunes. They're all available on all those platforms now. Uh, also, like I said, if you guys have any critiques or anything like that, you can feel free to go ahead and email me at contact at libertyafterdark.net. That email is all set up and ready to go. The website will be available uh, hopefully pretty soon here in the next week or two. If you guys, too, have another avenue to uh, receive the content from, if you wish to do it that way. Uh, just in retrospect, I'd like to start doing this at the end of the episodes. I definitely think I, you know, overall had a pretty good show this time, but um, I'd like to say I obviously horribly missed the ball on the whole Yellow Vest movement, and uh, I kind of made the mistake of, of jokingly just in casual conversation using some, some ad hominems to refer to 
a, a couple groups that I don't necessarily align with. So it's some things to look at going forward. Uh, still have to work on the ums and yas and all that jazz, but you know, it's a growing process. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did leave uh, five stars or four stars, whatever you feel like it deserves. Uh, and then hopefully in the future, we'll continue to improve and bring you guys better content, but look for the next episode coming up here pretty shortly in the next 24 to 48 hours. Thanks again.